Hoax, Not a Dream, the podcast about comic book characters who just don't quit. You can try to write them off, but they'll just get written back in. I'm your host, Ben Rathbone, and I'm recording from, well, I'm back in a zone. The dead zone, to be exact. No, I don't mean the network TV show starring Anthony Michael Hall based off a Stephen King book. No, this is the DC Universe dead zone. Maybe they're related. I don't know. Today, we're going to talk about Green Lantern. Imagine a ring that can shape anything you think of. And usually what you're going to shape is a laser that comes out of your fist. Cool, right? That's the Green Lantern ring. There's a bunch of people with a Green Lantern ring all across the universe, but we've come here today to talk about one in particular, who is maybe my favorite, Mogo. If you know, you know. And if you don't, well, keep listening. What the hell is that? Is that a bird? Is it a plane? No, just a guy in a pair of tights and a cape. The idea of an interplanetary Green Lantern Corps presided over by short blue guys named the Guardians entered the ether in 1960 when Julius Schwartz, Gil Kane, and John Broom completely retooled the old Golden Age character to suit the tastes of Silver Age readers. The new Green Lantern is Hal Jordan, a brash, headstrong test pilot who stumbled upon the dying Green Lantern responsible for the space sector Earth is a part of. Hal's our main guy for a while, as comic books enter the Bronze Age when Dennis O'Neill and Neil Adams begin to lightly criticize the idea that an organization of all-powerful space cops is inherently a good thing. In issue number 76, Green Arrow joins the title, and with the help of a black man being evicted from his apartment by a greedy landlord, convinces first Hal, and then even the Guardians in charge of the Green Lantern Corps, that there's all kinds of problems on Earth that don't fit into the myopic lens of laws and crime. The creative team soon after introduce a new Green Lantern with a different perspective, John Stewart, an African-American architect and former Marine. When Hal quits the Corps, John becomes Earth's space sector's new Green Lantern. It's in the backdrop of John learning the ropes of his new gig that we get a curious backup story about a strange Green Lantern much different than any mentioned before. The story appears in Green Lantern, Green Lantern. Volume, Volume 2, 2, number 188. Tales of the Green Lantern Corps, Mogo Doesn't Socialize, written by Alan Moore with artist-letterer Dave Gibbons, colors by Anthony Tallon. Deep in a big space library called the Hall of Great Service, two Green Lanterns are hanging out. One is a young and impressionable woman with orange skin and pointy hair named Arisha, and the other her senior, Tomar Ray, who also has orange skin and pointy ears, in addition to a beak and a cool fin mohawk thing on his head. Arisha is flipping through the Book of Worthy Names, a listing of every Green Lantern name on record. There's a bunch she doesn't recognize. Who the ho-blot is Lieselpon? Or Dick's Rick Rur? Or Mogo? Tomar Ray gives her dirty language a pass and answers her questions. Lieselpon is a super-intelligent smallpox. Dick's Rick Rur is an abstract mathematical progression. And Mogo, well, Tomar Ray has a story about Mogo. Once, there was a space barbarian named Bofonga the Unrelenting. He possessed the strength of a Danibian dozer bull and the endurance of a Lolotian lava limpet and the intelligence of a bed of kelp. He liked to fight people, and he was pretty good at it. He'd beaten Rustang the Vindictive, 
the terrifying Kloba Vud, and even Great Rivera, breaking 17 of the creature's arms. He decided his next opponent was to be the Green Lantern Mogo. Ofunga didn't know much about Mogo, really only his fearful reputation. The warrior tracked the Green Lantern to a planet, and upon setting down, looked everywhere for his opponent, but saw no intelligent life on the sphere, only thick swaths of forestry, plant life, and insects. Mama didn't call her boy unrelentless for nothing, though, and Bofunga kept looking, for like, weeks, then months, then years. Ever so often, he'd run into a gigantic swatch of ground completely free of any trees or plants, as if some great force had run it over. Bofunga kept record of these swatches, and as time went on, he mapped the entire planet, piece by piece. Finally, one night he saw what the forestry and barren parts worked together to form. A symbol. At last, understanding Mogo's true nature, Bofunga went to his spacecraft and escaped from the planet in haste, horrified at his realization. After making some distance from the atmosphere, the barbarian visually confirmed what he'd mapped out. He saw what he'd missed on his way in, that the forestry covering the planet formed the symbol of the Green Lantern Corps. The entire planet was the Green Lantern Mogo. Tomar Ray ends his story by telling Arisia that one day he'll have to tell her about some of the really big Green Lanterns. Arisia is nonplussed. Like, not even a little bit plussed. Tomar Ray? You're joking, right? That was all just a wad of Skabinski, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Tomar Ray? Tomar Ray again gives the younger Corps members filthy language a pass as he walks away. The end. What a cute little story, huh? Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons really did a crack-up job here. It's a shame we don't see much else from these creators. I'm kidding. If you don't already know, Moore and Gibbons are the team behind the groundbreaking Watchmen, the first issue of which would publish just a year after this story. I mean, if one ignores the fact that you appear to be dead, it's almost peaceful. Are we seriously fucking dead? In the years after Mogo is introduced, the DC multiverse has a crisis, blows up, and reforms into one singular universe. Mogo is too cool a concept to just leave on the table, so he's brought back here and there, and future Green Lantern writers gradually expand his role in the mythos. It's established that he isn't in orbit around a sun like a normal planet, but can actually move around in space. He does have his own gravity like a planet, so he just has to be careful where he goes. Also, get this, Mogo is responsible for sending out rings into space to find new Green Lanterns. That's his job. In addition to that, you start to hear core members refer to him as the most powerful of the Green Lanterns, so I guess Tomar Ray was joking about there being bigger ones. Or if he wasn't, the bigger ones are more powerful. Whenever there's a big interplanetary level threat to the whole core, Mogo might show up. This one time, two versions of Superman had to team up to fight this corrupt version of the original Superboy. In order to do so, they pushed Superboy through a red sun, depowering all three of them. What prevented the Superman's death in the vacuum of space? Mogo, waiting for them on the other side of the sun. As time rolls on, Earth gets more Green Lanterns. A friend of Hal's named Guy Gardner joins the Corps sometime after John, and Hal rejoins. 
when Hal loses his mind and destroys the entire core, long story, it'll get its own episode eventually, an artist named Kyle Rayner becomes the only Green Lantern for a bit. Hal comes back later, and the core reforms, and then it turns out there's a bunch of other color-themed lanterns and rings out there in, in space. First, the Green Lantern Corps, whose rings are powered by force of will, have to fight the Yellow Lantern Corps, whose rings are powered by fear. After this war, more colors join the party, each connected to an emotion. We get pink, love, red, anger, orange, greed, blue, hope, and indigo, compassion. They all fight each other, because, of course. Finally, there's the Black Lantern Corps, which kind of stray from the emotion theme because they're just all about death and zombies. In opposition to them are the White Lantern Corps, who are all about life. When the Black Lantern Corps show up with a bunch of zombie DC characters who've died, there's another big space war in an event called Blackest Night. Mogo saves OA, the home of the Guardians, from a whole army of the zombie lanterns by sucking them up inside himself. After Blackest Night, this big bad named Krona takes over the entire Green Lantern Corps from within, corrupting the members of the Corps so they must mindlessly follow his command. A few members of the Corps, including Jon Stewart and Kyle Rayner, are able to avoid the corruption and wield rings from the other color spectrums in order to fight back. As they develop their attack plan, one giant piece on the board needs to be accounted for. The now mind-controlled Mogo. Green Lantern Corps, Volume 2, Number 60. Writer, Tony Bedard. Pencils, Tyler Kirkham. Inks, Bot. Colors, Rod Rice and Nye Rafino. Letters, Pat Brosal. Using the Indigo Ring's power, Jon Stewart teleports himself and Kyle Rayner inside of Mogo's orbit, where they see a whole mess of Green Lantern rings jettisoning out into space to look for new recruits. And as a result new brainwashed minions of Krona. Kyle tries to use his blue ring to shut it down, but unfortunately, the ring has a limitation and can only really do anything when there's a green lantern nearby. The loose rings themselves, or Mogo for that matter, don't count. John is more successful in shutting things down, as he uses his indigo ring to harness the power of the green rings and create a huge dome to contain them. But there's a lot of these rings, like so many. And despite John's best efforts, they burst through the dome and continue to fly off into space to find their tinder matches. Okay, so new plan. They're going to head into Mogo's core to find his brain, and Kyle is going to use the blue ring to heal and restore the sentient planet's mind. Thing is, Mogo is more than just a big old planet green lantern that shoots out rings. He's also psychic, and John is subjected to visions of his dead wife, Katmatui. To make things worse, a whole platoon of Green Lanterns have showed up on John and Kyle's tail, and to double down on the worse, Kyle's blue ring is amping up their power levels, because that's what blue rings do, and he can't stop it. What he can do, though, is target heal core members from Krona's impurity. Not bad. This gives the duo a chance to make it to Mogo's core, slash brain, which is apparently a giant Green Lantern ring surrounded by swirling emerald energy. Kyle tries to do the thing, and it would have worked, except there's a whole bunch of Black Lantern mojo stuck in Mogo from that time he absorbed a whole army of them. So things go to shit. Kyle is knocked out by Black Lantern energy feedback, as John gets an alert from his ring telling him that literally hundreds of corrupted Green Lanterns are about to show up. John decides to use his ring to harness Mogo's power, 
but when he tries to, he's taunted by a telepathic DM from Krona. You will do nothing, Lantern Stewart. You are too late. All across the cosmos, Mogo is creating new recruits for me. It matters not if they are fearless or willful or good. All now belong to me. All now do my bidding, and more will swell my ranks with each passing second. Mogo is calling them as quickly as he creates them, summoning them here to Oa. A wave of murder will roll across the stars, Lantern Stewart, and there is nothing you can do to stop it. The fate of a galaxy on his shoulders, John does the last thing he can think to do. He uses the Indigo Ring's ability to channel lantern energy, and chooses to channel the Black Lantern energy still coursing through Mogo's core. He teleports himself and Kyle back into orbit, and forms a giant Black Lantern energy gun. He aims it directly at Mogo. Kyle, now conscious, protests. Mogo's not himself, John. None of them are. But John has no choice. It's you who doesn't get it, Kyle. I was inside his mind. I saw what's happening out there, and it's only getting worse. Billions more will die if the rest of the rings reach new wearers. God forgive me. John pulls the trigger, and Mogo, the Green Lantern who's a planet, explodes. Man, bummer. This is the era of Green Lantern comics I've read the most of. Defined by all these big space wars between the different colored Lantern Corps, I have a fondness for these because it's such a simple concept that speaks to the inner kid in me, you know? There's a Green Lantern Corps, so why wouldn't there be other colors too? It's actually amazing it took people as long as it did to think of it, to be honest. The concept's like, right there, you know? Superman, how can you be? Alive? Toy Man sent me to the future. Then Vandal Savage and I fought some giant cockroaches and... It's complicated. How Jordan kills Krona and the whole war of the Green Lanterns ends. Don't worry though, there's always another space war. Just like real wars, they just, uh, never end. The next one we're talking about is the rise of the Third Army. What is the Third Army, you ask? Well, the first army the Guardians of the Universe created were these big robots called the Manhunters. The Guardians were kind of shitty programmers, so they created a second army made up of living creatures the Green Lantern Corps. The third army they created were a bunch of powerful, emotionless blue space zombies who assimilate living creatures by removing their free will. Um, yeah, but why though? Why'd they create the third army? To bring peace to the universe. No free will, no conflict. Easy peasy. Third times, the charm. How Jordan and sometimes Green Lantern but usually villain Sinestro find out the Guardian's evil intentions, but are trapped in the mysterious dead zone by a Black Lantern named Black Hand before they can do anything about it. Well, everything except one thing. The thing they do is fuse their rings together to choose a new Green Lantern of Earth and issue a Obi-Wan, you're my only hope kind of warning. The ring chooses Simon Boz, an automotive engineer and street racer. Does he always construct a bunch of cool-looking cars with the ring? You better believe it. Meanwhile, the Guardians tell Jon Stewart that Mogo is reforming, and that he should go check it out. Jon is glad to hear it. He really was feeling a lot of guilt over that whole thing, and he accepts the mission. And that's pretty much everything you need to know for Green Lantern Corps, Annual, Volume 3, Number 1. Peter J. Tomasi, Story and Words. Chris Cross, Penciler, Scott Hanna and Marlo Aquenza, Inkers, Will Quintana, Colorist, 
Steve Wands, letterer. Simon Boz, Guy Gardner, and a Green Lantern named Badug are hanging out on the moon. Badug is basically a little space squirrel wearing a Green Lantern uniform. It's adorable. Gardner lost his ring at some point, so he's surviving courtesy of Badig's ring's power. They're all listening to the message that came with Boz's ring. Hal and Jordan weren't exactly on the same page, so it's a jumbled mess, but one thing is clear. The Guardians need to be stopped. It doesn't take much to convince Guy, since the Guardians just stripped him of his ring over some bullshit reason. Like, there were plenty of really good reasons he should have been stripped of his ring over the years, but this time it was bullshit. After giving Simon a pep talk, Guy asks Bedig to ring-construct him cool space armor so he can use it to fly back to Oa, get his ring back, and form a resistance force. Why didn't Simon and Bedig go with him? Well, they have to stay behind to read a big magic book to get to the bottom of things. Once they open to a blank page, a bunch of black goo grabs them and pulls them in, and they find themselves before a black hand in the Chamber of Shadows. Meanwhile, Jon Stewart and a pink lantern named Fatality have found the remaining pieces of Mogo. He is, indeed, reforming. Yay! Except, the Guardians wanted Jon to confirm this so they could harness the planet's power for their own evil means. Boo. They send a bunch of Third Army dudes over to kill Jon and secure Mogo. Jon has more immediate things to worry about, as he and Fatality are suddenly caught in the same gravitational pull as the reforming pieces. Ah! While this is happening, Guy Gardner sneaks into Oa to grab his ring, and runs into Kilowog, a Green Lantern who's like 150% torso. Oh, what's up, Kilowog? Nothing much. You know, the Guardians lied to the entire Corps, telling them to come back to Oa so they could protect them against the Third Army, but really, they just trapped them in suspended animation. Ah, neat. I assume there's a small group of scrappy rebels you formed to fight back? You bet. Back with Mogo, the Third Army has arrived outside the just-about-reformed planet's orbit. There's no sign of John anywhere. The space zombies descend to assimilate Mogo, but the planet unleashes a powerful, rapid-fire barrage of debris out at the army, utterly destroying them. Mogo's back, baby! John and Fatality wash up on one of Mogo's beaches, unharmed. Mogo wasn't trying to kill us, John realizes. Mogo saved us. And you saved Mogo, Fatality says. We saved him, John corrects, to which Fatality further corrects. Her, she says. Hmm. Does a planet even have to have a gender? Best not to think about it too much. On Oa, Guy Gardner launches a headfirst attack against the Guardians. It doesn't go well, but that's okay, because it was only a distraction so Kilowog and gang could sever the transmission lock the Guardians were using to block communications and keep all the core members on Oa in suspension. Kilowog sends an SOS out to all the Lanterns, that they gotta come beat up the Guardians. The Guardians summon all of the Third Army through a wormhole, and then a bunch of other Lantern people like Kyle Rayner with a white lantern ring show up. The Manhunters, you remember, the First Army, also arrive, apparently reprogrammed by the Red Lanterns to go destroy the Guardians. There's a big ol' space battle, and the Guardians are losing. Forced into a corner, they're forced to draw more power from this mysterious multicolored figure named Valthum they've been using to power the Third Army. Who is Valthum? Well, whoever he is, he's free now, as the Guardians' attempts to harness his power have unleashed him from the energy bubble he was trapped in. First plan on his agenda is to use his seemingly limitless powers to take over the universe. 
The story continues in Wrath of the First Lantern, which we will not be reading. Wow, that was a lot. Uh, most of the Green Lantern arcs mid-aughts and on when Jeff Johns was writing the flagship Green Lantern book are a lot. Wrath of the First Lantern is too. I won't get too much into it, but I will say two things. Does Mogo act like a prism for basically every lantern across all the colors of the spectrum to focus their ring powers into one ultra-powerful laser? Yes. 100% yes. And does Bofunga the Unrelenting return in a pretty funny cameo? Again, yes. Alright, thank you for listening to this episode of Not a Hoax, Not a Dream. If you liked the podcast, uh, you know, you can like and subscribe and rate it five stars, write a review, do all those cool things. Next episode will be in two weeks, and it'll be a pretty fun one, I think. The newest Batman movie is just about to release as I record this, and I do like to tie the show into new releases when I can. That's all I'll say for now. Until then, keep cool, my friends.